Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. This episode is a special two-part series that is actually from a live presentation that I made for the Nashville Area Pharmacist Association. So this is a group that meets every month in the Nashville or Middle Tennessee area and uh, brings together different topics and speakers and as a way for pharmacists in the area to connect. I had the privilege of picking a topic which I selected to be healthcare disruption and I hope you enjoy the episode. A lot of activity within the pharmacy world. She's the current director of the Dispensary of Hope. As some of you may have had uh, lectures on or interactions with or heard about it through the grapevine. I'm sure afterwards she may be able to answer some questions or have some contact info. Um, she also is responsible for a podcast, the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast, in which case you might be heard on this recording if you're sitting too close to it and you start asking where the lemon cookies are. So uh, this will be recorded and possibly if the recording's good enough, uh, put on her podcast. Um, she's gonna be speaking tonight about disruption, potentially, if any, of pharmacy. Uh, and without really getting too much more into it, because I don't quite know what she's gonna talk about, we're gonna uh, go ahead and let Dr. Blackmer get started. Please give your uh, attention, thank you. Thanks, Joseph, for that introduction. I'm so excited to be here tonight to talk with you all about the topic of healthcare is getting disrupted. Is pharmacy ready? So, how many of you have ever heard the term disruption used associated with healthcare? Anybody? Raise of hands. Don't be shy. Okay, yes, exactly. Well, disruption changes the way we think, behave, and do business. And the Harvard Business School actually says that uh, disruption displaces an existing market uh, or technology and brings something new and more efficient. So a little background actually, so Harvard Business School actually uh, coined the theory of disruption back in 1997 and a core group of their team put together a, uh, some principles for disruption in healthcare in 2009. It was called the Innovation Prescription. Guess what? Pharmacy wasn't mentioned in there. So out of the hundreds of, in, of interviews that they did, uh, pharmacy was not something that was really brought up uh, back in 2009. So actually, two years later, in 2011, APHA invited the lead author to come in and be a keynote speaker for their annual meeting and to talk about some ways that pharmacy can play a role in, as healthcare is getting disrupted. So the topics that we will be talking about today, hopefully we will talk about 
Um, identifying current healthcare disruptions, uh, list some roles that pharmacists can play in the changing healthcare market, describe population health in the pharmacist's role, and explain ways that pharmacists can stay up to date and bring value. So a lot of these also fall in line with some of the policy topics that will be um, discussed during the 2019 APHA House of Delegates. Uh, so that's the policy and legislative body that, um, that APHA has. And some of their key topics are gonna be on vertical integration and how does that impact the pharmacist role, um, referral system for the pharmacy profession and the role of pharmacists in providing first aid or mental health first aid. All right, so we know that disruption has been happening for a, a really long time. I mean, it's been happening forever. We've had a horse and buggy, it goes to a car. Um, and then, you know, none of these companies even existed 20 years ago. Um, so as technology advances, you start to see things like Uber um, disrupting the transportation um, industry. Or Airbnb, you know, how many of you have ever started looking at an Airbnb or VRBO website versus looking at a hotel? Um, Instagram, they don't even have cameras, you know, it's just, it's one of the top um, photo companies. Uh, Netflix, when's the last time that you went to a blockbuster and actually went and picked out a movie versus just flipping through on your home screen there at your house and we're able to check that out. Um, so as this digital disruption is happening, uh, we are gonna start to see a lot of other things happening in the healthcare industry. So technology is one of those. So has anyone ever heard of blockchain? Okay, a few hands, um, great. So, so that is a digital ledger that allows two different parties who don't have any history to be able to um, create contract or secure contracts uh, and build that trust. So it's been used in the banking industry. You may have heard of Bitcoin. Um, so now we're, we're looking at that as a solution for healthcare. Uh, artificial, or artificial intelligence. Um, so that is basically using a computer to assist uh, humans in detecting or diagnosing diseases. So um, something that's been rolled out, uh, di detecting diabetic retinopathy. Um, telehealth. Has anybody ever used uh, telehealth to get a prescription? Or maybe they've got a family member. So instead of having to go to urgent care or something, you're able to use uh, a subscription I think um, St. Thomas has like a $50 a year annual fee and you have access to uh, any telehealth providers. Uh, we're seeing a lot of consolidation in the marketplace. So vertical integrations, lots of mergers and acquisitions. Um, we keep seeing hospitals buying up other hospitals um, and lots of other mergers and acquisitions we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, and then supply chain, a lot of disruption happening in the supply chain industry. Um, also, you know, we've got a couple of things here. So Apple, how many of you have on an Apple Watch? Anybody? So we've got, you're wearing digital devices that are keeping track of things. So, you know, another thing that Apple is doing um, that is going to be really innovative is they're looking to bring your, your electronic health record portably to you. So, you know, in the past, we've only had 
oh, well, my doctor has that, and if you change providers, then is all of your information or your history being changed from one provider to another? Not really sure, but, you know, it's, it's things like that that, you know, um, tr treating your electronic health record like a credit card that you can put in, you know, and that you have control of. Um, Google, you've probably seen Google uh, in the news trying to break into the healthcare market. They um, are looking at some AI technologies. They've got a couple of different spinoffs, um, Alphabet, uh, looking at some, you know, accountable care models and, and different things. And then Amazon, um, that is a really big, we already uh, talked about that a little bit. We'll do a deep dive with, with Amazon. Um, CVS, uh, they have a, a merger going on with Aetna, and they actually just partnered with Teladoc. So think about this. Um, so, you know, how does a CVS or Walgreens compete with Amazon as Amazon's getting into the, the prescription market? Well, you know, they're looking at innovative ways where they can bring, you know, it's a one-stop shop. So instead of having a patient go to urgent care and then the prescription is transcribed to the pharmacy, um, you can have a virtual visit. So sometimes you can't staff every single Walgreens or, um, or you know, other retail setting, pharmacy setting with a, with a nurse practitioner or provider. Um, it's just not feasible to be able to do that. But having telehealth, um, there is one way that you can accomplish that goal. Alright, so Amazon. So who all heard about PillPack? Did anybody hear about the, the PillPack acquisition? So ha had PillPack been on your radar before you heard that Amazon was being bought? Okay, so a couple of you had heard of it. So, you know, this was a really big deal. Um, it was a $1 billion buy. Um, and so this was a startup. Uh, created by two MIT guys. Uh, it was basically started as a competition there um, in MIT. It was a goal of pro uh, providing medications simply. Um, so they've got really convenient packaging that helps to package all of the morning meds, evening meds. So for patients that have chronic conditions, multiple prescriptions, uh, it's a really streamlined way of doing that. So why would Amazon be interested in partnering with PillPack? Well, they're already licensed in 50 states. So I don't know about any of you, but I previously worked at a mail order pharmacy and I think I have 11 pharmacy licenses still right now. So you've got to be, you have to have a pharmacist license um, to be you know, able to, to fill prescriptions in certain states. So. Um, that's a feat. And then, you know, just the pharmacy license to be able to, to fill and mail prescriptions into states is, some, is a lot to keep up with. Um, so they've already, they already had that. Um, the other thing that PillPack had was they had existing relationships with PBMs. So um, that was a really convenient thing. So Amazon, you know, um, I like to follow drug channels and some of the predictions that Adam Fine, who's the... Um, owner of Drug Channels, which is a blog consulting group, um, he had predicted that Amazon could really come in and take over that cash pay market. Um, so, you know, that's certainly a way, but with PillPack's existing uh, network and established relationships with PBMs, made them a really attractive acquisition for them to do this summer. 
Okay, well, what happened the day that the Amazon and PillPack acquisition actually came on to the market? Well, um, there was a big dip in the stock market. So $11 billion collectively for Walgreens, CVS, and Rite Aid stock. Um, so I think some of that has um, flattened out and, and gotten a little bit better. So no CVS or Walgreens employees start to freak out. But, um, but yeah, so I think that you know, they're really looking to, you know, I mentioned disrupting the cash pay model and re, you know, reinventing mail-order pharmacy. Um, does anybody work in mail-order pharmacy? Yeah, well, um, I know that they can also use it for, you know, like mail-order. Um, I think they might be doing it for, you know, assisted living and things like that, but with, yeah, assisted living has a little bit different regulations than long-term care. You've got to have seven-day and 14-day supplies. But someone else that works in that industry might have any, even more information about that. Um, so, you know, looking, why would, why is there an opportunity for disruption in the, the mail order industry? So, has anybody ever um, felt like, you know, maybe the customer service could be a little smoother with mail order pharmacy? or um, it might be a little bit easier. Um, so there, I think there's, there are some opportunities to do some, some innovation and disruption. And who has used Amazon and had a really great customer experience with them? It's a pretty straightforward you know, model. If you have to do a return, they make it easy. If you're signed up for Amazon Prime, you get your package in two days. Um, so a couple of, of ways there, um, and so you you see that you know the majority is still feel, filled at the retail counter. So you've got chain drugstores, um, supermarkets, independent, still making up the majority of prescription revenue. Um, Thirty day prescriptions again, still majority, and then locations. So as I mentioned, um, the physical footprint that. Um, you know your your chain or your independents have is certainly an advantage because patients like to go up to their pharmacist at the counter and they've got that relationship and they know you and they know that that you're going to take care of them. Okay, so consolidation in the industry. So um, I think just this week, Cigna and Express Scripts. Their merger was approved by the DOJ, so there were some concerns about antitrust. So, if you can imagine, you know, when the, these insurers and PBMs are uh, joining, there could be a little bit of concern about, oh, well, are they going to make me, you know, fill all my prescriptions here or there? Or, you know, so a little bit of antitrust concerns, um, but that was a $67 billion uh, merger and that was just approved um, so you're probably seeing a lot of um, big vertical integrations happening and what does that do that's going to disrupt you know probably your organization and where you're practicing so it's good to be aware of that uh, PBM disruption who all has heard anything in the news over the last couple of weeks or months about PBMs um, 
Yeah, so they are under a lot of scrutiny. So um, I think he is one that um, he's looking at the supply chain and where you've got, you know, it's very, com the, you know, pharmaceutical, I guess, diagram about who gets paid and, and reimbursed is very complex. And so he's looking at, you know, the model going, where does the PBM fit in? And so things like, you know, big price spreads, you know, what a, a, a pharmacy uh, is paid varies dramatically based on, you know, the type of contract or the type of um, insurance that a patient has. Um, so that's under a lot of scrutiny. Um, they also uh, are, are trying to remove the anti-gag clause. So did anybody know what the gag clause was until this really became? I honestly didn't even know about it. And um, I'm on the, the TPA Legislative and Policy Committee, and that was brought up several months ago. And I'm going, I had no idea that there was a gag clause that pharmacists were not allowed by the PPM to tell a Medicare patient what their lowest cost prescription option was. So if the patient walks in and their cash price is going to be cheaper than going through their insurance, which would be, you know, two or three hundred dollars, we weren't allowed to tell the patient that. But now they're they're rolling back some of those re, uh, regulations. Okay, so supply chain. So uh, we had a little teaser about blockchain. And who all has heard of, of DSCSA or the Drug Supply Chain and Security Act? Hopefully everybody because it's going to impact the entire pharmacy industry. So basically what happened um, several years ago when the fungal meningitis outbreaks came out, um, they wanted to put in some legislation to prevent that from happening. So there, um, the, something happened in the supply chain, patients got you know, adulterated product, they died, they're like, how do we fix this? So they come, came out with this new regulation um, that has a stepwise approach that so manufacturers, I think, have to um, uh, integrate this first. So their manufacturer is actually called T1, um, the wholesaler is T2, and the hospital or pharmacy is T3. So uh, for serialization, uh, they didn't mandate, or they and the legislators did not mandate um, how uh, serialization had to occur. They just said, this has to happen, and they gave certain dates uh, for milestones of when that needed to happen. So um, you've got you know, the Center for Supply Chain Studies that is coming up with a lot of different models and blockchain is one of those because when you have um, different organizations that don't necessarily want to share everything they maybe only want to share a little bit of something um, so if, if you use the blockchain technology and build on those blocks of trust um, then you know you only have access to that which you are supposed to have Okay, so another disruption in the supply chain that actually happened here in the Middle Tennessee area is with the Dispensary of Hope. So um, how you know we got our start was really about 10 years ago, a Michelin-minded physician realized that he had all these samples in his sample closet that were going to waste. And he started taking those samples to 
free clinics around the Nashville and Middle Tennessee area. And um, then he started getting his friends doing that. They had the Qantas Club of Murfreesboro that was taking garbage sacks of samples around. Um, and so that got a little unwieldy. Uh, it all follows within the PDMA. Uh, so there is a flow chart within the PDMA that allows for charitable donations. So uh, it did follow that. But as you can imagine, um, they took it to St. Thomas Health, who actually created a nonprofit back in 2006. So for many years, we had what was called the Hope Box program. We had over 700 physician practices all over the country who were participating. And they would, it was a Netflix model. So we would send out red totes and they would fill it in with samples and send it back to Dispensary of Hope in Nashville. And we would distribute it to clinics and pharmacies to patients in need. Well, that model has changed um, to now uh, Dispensary of Hope works primarily with uh, other phar with pharmaceutical companies. So we're partnered with over 25 uh, generic pharmaceutical companies at this point and they generously donate because there's surplus in the supply chain so just to keep up with supply and demand they have to overproduce so there is surplus and what usually happens to that is it goes to the incinerator but we offer a great solution that instead of sending it to McKesson or Cardinal they can send it to us as a distributor and then we're able to partner with nonprofit um, hospital systems pharmacies and clinics and we're now in 30 states across the country uh, so in 2017 um, we received donations valued at over 60 um, million dollars from manufacturers to provide network partners with medication to fill over 900,000 prescriptions. We've already met a million prescriptions representing over 407,000 patient encounters. So this is uh, the model. So we really operate off of um, uh, trust and collaborative leadership. So we have uh, different stakeholders that we work with. So on this side, the pharmaceutical manufacturers. So um, they do get a tax benefit from donating to us. And we have a set formulary uh, that I lead that team that develops the formulary. Our focus right now is on primary care medications. Um, we're track and trace or DSCSA compliant. We're licensed by every state that we operate in. Um, they get an itemized receipt, etc. And then it's going to all of these partners who are our other stakeholders. So with that shared vision, we're able to bring together two different organizations or two different ends of the spectrum that usually don't work together, but for the shared and common purpose of um, really helping to uh, meet the needs of uninsured, low-income patients, those who would otherwise do without, um, then you know it really creates this this neat collaborative so um, we've got a collaborative of over 150 pharmacies and clinics in 30 states and over 25 manufacturers uh, we now have a partnership with our first branded company that was announced this summer Eli Lilly uh, has released a press announcement that they are working with us to donate insulin and that is such a big deal because every day we are talking to 
pharmacists and all over the country and you know we like to hear like well what do you need like here's our drug list and they're like do you have insulin and do you have inhalers and up until now we haven't had that and we we should hope to have some other branded products um, coming down the pipeline as well um, so you know we're working with health systems um, you know, even such as Intermountain, uh, Ascension is, is a big partner of ours. Um, so we're impacting, you know, reducing their costs um, and impacting their community benefit. So when I first started at Dispensary of Hope, I didn't realize that community benefit was actually um, a designation that all nonprofit systems have to demonstrate. So every three years, they have to conduct a community health needs assessment of what their community needs and so a lot of times access to care is on there sometimes it's uh, violence or behavioral health or smoking etc um, so usually they pick you know uh, three to five um, key priorities but um, so we're actually going to help attribute to their community benefit which is interesting so we're dispensary pub is not a uh, technology disruptor it's really more of a physical disruptor and is based off of developing relationships. And we'll go ahead and stop there for part one of the Nashville Area Pharmacist presentation titled, Healthcare is Getting Disrupted, Is Pharmacy Ready? And I hope that you enjoyed this part one and part two will be coming out next week. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. And if you're a student or new grad or resident and you are struggling with student loans, I know the guys over at Your Financial Pharmacist, and they have put together an online course just for you. Uh, so head over to www.pharmacyadvisory.com student loan course to check that out. Again, thanks to our sponsors, TheraWorks Relief. If you're interested in learning more about the product, be sure to go to theraworksrelief.com. And if you click on the healthcare professionals link, there is a CE available through Pharmacy Times. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.